One of the things that you should know about me is I love starting things. Uh, I, I tend to thrive off of change, and so starting things I love doing. But one of the things I've learned in starting things is I'm not the best at continuing things, right? Uh, you can come to my house and, and see some projects that have great starts, not finished though. Uh, for instance, uh, Trevor Ferris is our children's pastor, uh, and him and I share an office and spend a lot of time together. And um, about nine weeks ago, uh, we decided it was going to be a great idea to join um, an eight-week challenge at a local gym called Complete Athlete. And it sounded like a great idea. And that first week was a great idea. And this, we're coming into the last week of this eight-week challenge, and uh, let's just say we're seven weeks in, and I've wanted to quit more times than there have been days in this challenge, right? And it's not even that long of a challenge. Uh, and yet, um, I, I have not wanted to continue um, most of it, uh, most of the challenge I have wanted to give up. Because uh, what I've learned through this process is I really um, want to be in shape. But the work that it takes to get in shape I'm not so sold on, you know, like that's when it starts to get a little tough and, and, and I'm, I'm out on most of the time on that situation. It's funny because Ryan talked about a similar idea last week. Uh, Ryan uh, spoke to us that, that God has called us on this mission, that he has called us and rescued us. And then he has sent us out on this mission. And today what we want to talk about is how can we continue that mission? Like no matter what life throws out at us, how can we continue, continually follow God on that mission? Before we jump into our text of Colossians 2, uh, so you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles there. Uh, we'll read it in just a second. Um, let me set the stage a little bit. Paul is writing this letter to a church that he has never visited and likely will never visit. He's writing them to encourage them, to point out all the great things he's heard from his friend Epaphras, who has told them all the great things that they're doing. But also there's this little part of their church that started to stray away a little bit. And he's writing, and a lot of what we'll talk about today is directly related to this, that he's writing to say, hey, be careful. There is going to be opposition. Be careful. And you're going to hear a lot from me today. Um, because they gave me the fancy mic. And so uh, you get to hear a lot from me. So I thought instead of hearing more from me, I would invite some students uh, to come read. So Elise, why don't you come? Give it up for Elise. And Elise is going to read our section of scripture, uh, which will be uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Go ahead. And now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in your truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you, are also, so you also are complete through your union with Christ who is head over, all, over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed, phys Christ performed spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, 
you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of our charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Awesome. Thank you, Elise. Yeah, for Elise. Right, so, so Paul has, has written uh, chapter 1 in the, in the beginning of chapter 2 and saying, hey, God has rescued from darkness. Here's this mission. And what Elise just read to us, if we summed it up, is if we're going to fulfill this mission that God has called to, we must be deeply rooted in Jesus. If we're going to be successful in this mission, we must be deeply rooted in Jesus. He starts that section by saying, we must continue this ongoing action. We must continue to follow him. See, because accepting Jesus is just the beginning. But following him is what the rest of your life is going to look like. And the rest of your life is going to look like growing these roots deep in him. My wife and I lived in Northern California for a set of years. And I worked with students there. And our middle school camp was actually done in Southern California in a town called Orange. And one of those days, we would venture from Chapman University down to Huntington Beach. And you would take this one road to get straight there. And on this way, on the way to the, to the beach, we would pass by this giant tree next to a cathedral. You can see a picture I snapped from Google Maps there. Um, this tree was and still is massive. Uh, the road that it hangs over is five lanes wide. Its branches that are hanging over those five lanes are thicker than most of the trunks of the trees around it. It is mammoth. But the thing that always caught my eye, the reason that this, this tree could even stand that tall and spread out that wide was because of the roots. And you can't quite see it there. You can see the beginning of it. They were massive. They would start above ground and they would plunge into the earth deep to hold this tree still. Its roots were dug down deep. And my hope is that the same could be said of us. That we are deeply rooted in the truth revealed to us through Jesus. Because Paul knows, like he's writing this because he knows that the opposition is coming. That's why he says in verse 8, don't be captured. Don't be captured. Don't be enslaved by these empty philosophies, by these convincing arguments. These spiritual roots are important because if we don't have them, we can be easily swayed or knocked down when a convincing argument comes. I get the opportunity to work with high school students all the time, and I love working with high school students. And, and the reason I love working with high school students is I, be, I believe there is no greater opportunity, no greater season of life to be captured by the gospel of Jesus, right? When, you, when you're, you're an adult and you have a career and you have a family and God gets a hold of your heart, man, there is much rejoicing in heaven, but it's hard to change that life then. But before you plant all those roots, if God can get a hold of your life, while you're still young, while you're still passionate, man, what can he do in the midst of it? And I'm, I'm so convinced that when a high school student gets captured by a thought, 
like just get out of their way because they're coming full steam. And I love watching it. It's why, one of the reasons why I love going to camp in Oregon with them every year in the first week of August because, man, God lights a fire. And we come back and it's like, just watch. Just watch what God's going to do through these students. And I love it. But every once in a while, a student will come to me and, and they, um, they've been watching YouTube. And YouTube is this awesome tool, but sometimes you get in this rabbit hole of YouTube videos. We've all been there, don't lie. And, and we, we get there and a student will bring a video to me and be like, Tyler, this disproves everything you've ever taught. And I'm like, well, let's watch it. And it's convincing. And they're struggling to figure out, okay, but what is true? Like, this seems to contradict what the Bible says. How do I know what it is or what it isn't? And they're trying to hold it up to the gospel, but they're confused. And it's not completely their fault in that their, their roots simply have not had enough time to dig as deep as they need to refute some of these arguments. But we're a lot like those high school students in that, those moments sometimes that we too can be distracted by some convincing arguments that some leader pops up and says this brand new thing in a brand new way and it sounds great and we want to sell our house and we want to buy all their books and we want to do these things and it's like, hold on, maybe that's a good idea. But is what they're saying rooted in the truth of God? See, sometimes it's a convincing argument but sometimes it's really just the circumstances of life that we find ourselves in that are trying to uproot us and move us. Because life comes at you fast. In this tree in California, it certainly wouldn't last very long if its roots had been shallow. One wind, and I imagine it causes a lot of damage. And that reminds me of a time when my, life, my wife and I lived in southwestern Missouri, where my wife and I went to college. My wife graduated, and the very next day, a tornado would rip through this town, an EF5 tornado, one of the largest ever recorded, would rip through this town and leave utter destruction in its path. And I remember the day after that tornado, venturing down to one of uh, my coworkers, well, where his house once stood, and began to pick up the pieces of where his life had resided. And again, I was struck by a tree. See, you could see for miles when you looked out. Not much was standing, but there were a few trees. Now these trees looked different than they had just 48 hours before. Their limbs, their leaves, their bark were all stripped away. But their trunks, the tree still stood tall. Why? Because their roots allowed them to withstand even the fiercest storm. I remember when my wife and I first moved to California, away from our family, away from our support system, to share the gospel with middle school and high school students in Northern California, and we loved it. But we, about six months in, we entered this season where now I reflect on, man, I am so glad that I had the roots that I did. 
I don't stand up here thinking that my roots are as deep as they need to be. And certainly I don't think they were as deep as they needed to be then. But there was this moment when we found out that this child that my wife was carrying, we would never get to meet. It was a tough season. It felt like my limbs were being stripped, that my, my bark was being taken away, that there was season of doubting, there was season of grief. We were hurting. And yet I stand on the other side of that, still with some rough days, still growing back some limbs from it but knowing that the only reason I'm here is by the grace of God and the roots that he continued to grow, even in a season of loss, even in a season of grief. Because a tree with shallow roots doesn't last very long. And we won't last very long following Jesus if we don't continue to grow in him. Because I promise, I promise that the high of following, of accepting Jesus will wear off when the storm comes. But when we are deeply rooted, we can withstand the storm just like those trees in Joplin did. And we find Paul in this situation. It's exactly where we find him as he pins this letter to this church. He's joyfully writing about the hope and the promises of Jesus, all while sitting in a jail cell that he may never make it out of. In fact, most scholars would say he doesn't leave this one alive. And yet he can still write with so much hope and so much joy because he knows that the ground that he's, he's rooted in isn't moving. He is deeply rooted. And one thing that stands out to me is Paul wasn't concerned at refuting all of these empty philosophies. He just lumps them together and says, hey, don't, don't focus on those. Instead, he tells us to focus on Jesus. It's kind of like those people that in our, in our government who are tasked to try and prevent counterfeit money from circulating. Our money is pretty complicated, pretty complex, so that people can't counterfeit it. And yet people do on a regular basis. And logic would tell me if I want to prevent people from counterfeiting our money, then I need to know what tips they're using, what tricks are they using, what machines are they using. How can I stay in front of it? But John MacArthur would tell us that's not exactly how they do it. No, he says federal agents don't learn to spot counterfeit money by studying the counterfeits. They study the genuine bills until they master the look of the real thing. Then when they see the bogus money, they can recognize it. They don't waste their time figuring out all the new ways to make fake money. They spend their time figuring out what does real money look like. So when they see fake money, they know it instantly which is why I think the key to being deeply rooted is to become so well acquainted with Jesus that it's obvious when something walks into your life that doesn't reflect who Jesus is. And maybe that's why Jesus wrote or, or said to his followers in John chapter 10, I tell you the truth, anyone who speaks, sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber or a counterfeit. But the one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. 
See, as we follow Jesus, we should know his voice. But it takes time. It takes time to understand what the voice of Jesus sounds like in your life. It takes time to follow him. It takes prayer. It takes meditation. It takes all of these things. And I've learned in my life that my prayer life needs less of me talking and more of me listening because I don't understand and I don't learn Jesus's voice when my voice is still overpowering. See, the tree in California didn't grow those roots overnight. No, it's taken years and years and years. And for me, following Jesus has taken years and years and years. It will can take a complete lifetime for me to follow Jesus all the way through. And sometimes there are setbacks. And sometimes the bark gets stripped away. And sometimes there's not enough water to feed it. But don't be discouraged when the roots take a while. Keep focusing on the things that you know grow roots deep. And I think there's a, several ways where we can grow roots deep, but I want to focus on two. And let me preface this. Neither of these, these items are earth-shattering. You've heard all of them before, I promise. But it doesn't make them less true or less important. So how can we grow our roots the first one is the word, the Bible, the word of God. It's simple. You hear it in church a lot, but I know this. There's no greater way to understand who Jesus is than to begin to read about his life. Read his words. Read about his miracles and see his actions. No, we learn his voice by sitting in his presence. And the only way that we can really do that, truly do that, day in and day out, is to read the story that his followers captured. Grow your roots by diving into the word. The second one, again, it's simple. It's, it's not something you haven't heard before, but it's the church. And of course, we would talk about how important the church is. We're at church. That's like important. But the aspect that I've learned more recently than I'd like to admit, is I can't do it by myself. I can't. I can't do it by myself. I need people to help keep me focused on the thing that truly matters, which is Jesus. I mentioned to you at the beginning that uh, I joined this eight-week challenge. I also mentioned that I have wanted to quit more times than there have been days in this challenge. And I'm convinced that the only reason why at the end of this week I will have completed all eight weeks of that is because of the people who have surrounded me throughout it. That Trevor, as my partner in this challenge, has been crucial, reminding me that I actually have to work out to complete the challenge. And sometimes prepping me for what the challenge is going to be because he always works out in the morning. I always work out in the afternoon. And sometimes he'll tell me and I'm like, oh, awesome. I can't wait to do that. You know? <laughs> And so it's so important to have people ahead of you sometimes that you can warn you, like, hey, maybe take a day off today. That's what I always heard. I don't think he ever said that, but it's what I always heard. But sometimes it was the trainers that I needed to surround me, right, who were there to encourage me. Although I promise you it never sounds encouraging while I'm there, right? It doesn't, but they're there to encourage me, to push me, to strengthen me. And sometimes it's the people in the class with me who are right in the midst of the struggle, 
They're not the ones who have figured it out. They're the ones that we're trying to lift the same amount of weight. And I need those people. But man, I need those people even more when I talk about following Jesus. I need those people. For my wife and I, when, when we moved here just over a year ago, we knew that up our, uprooting our family and moving them to a new place where we don't have family and we don't have that same support, we were going to have to build that in. We were going to have to grow our roots deep with people. And our small group has been so crucial for that development. Like I need, I need their opinions. I need their interpretations. I need their viewpoints. Because in my head, all my arguments are fail-proof. They sound awesome. Like I am undefeated in arguments in my head. And then I have to say them out loud and I just get these blank stares at my small group and they're like, what do you even, how does that even make sense? Right? And my wife's like, I've been trying to tell him, but I need it. I need those people who encourage me, who push me, who strengthen me. Because I know that if my focus even shifts a little, that Nick, Jonathan, Stephen, and Sam are going to call me on it. That, that not just to make fun of me, not to call me out, but to make sure that my focus never slips from the, the, the whole focus of our life, which is Jesus. And in doing so, it helps my roots go deeper and deeper and deeper. You see, the Bible and the church are so crucial for growing our roots deep. But at the core of each of those is this truth. Everything we need is found in Christ. Everything we need is found in Christ. And if the Bible you're reading or the church you're attending is telling you that the key to life is Jesus plus anything else, they're not giving you the gospel of Jesus. They're giving you something else because the Bible and the church help us grow in our understanding that everything we need, every need we have is found in Christ and Christ alone. Paul will tell us in this passage that we have been given fullness in Christ. Or, or a translation will tell us that when we accept him as our Lord and Savior and begin to follow him, that Paul tells us we are complete. That word complete means lacking nothing. You see, when your roots are deep in Jesus, you don't need anything else. And that sounds amazing. but can we trust it? And how can we know we can trust it? How do we know that Christ will make us complete? Because sometimes it doesn't honestly feel like it. It doesn't feel like I'm complete. Let's remind us ourselves of what Paul writes, starting in verse nine of, of chapter two of Colossians. He says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are also complete through your union with Christ who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not cut, cut away. See, he's reminding us of when we started. Remember when you gave your life to Jesus, why did you do that? Don't forget that moment. Don't forget that moment when you became so convinced that Jesus was who he says he was 
and did what he said he would do, that you wanted to live your life for him because life's going to come at you fast. Don't forget the power of Jesus because then he says, then God made you, right? And those four words are, there's so much theology packed in those four words. Like that we didn't do it. Left to our own devices, we were dead. We could not save ourselves. Then God made us alive. We can't boast about it. It's not ours. It's God's and his alone. For he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. I love that imagery, right? He canceled the debt. He nailed it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Whenever we think, maybe I can't trust this, maybe it's not exactly how we thought it was gonna be, my encouragement to you is look to the cross. Because the cross, which Paul will tell people that is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, is the proof that we have that this God who created the heavens and the earth and created each of us gave his son to die for us. And if he can give his son to die for us and he can raise that same son back from death, then surely he can live in you and he can grow those roots deep. See, the cross is proof that we can trust that our foundation will not be shaken. In Colossians, we've learned already that Jesus is supreme and Jesus is sufficient for all our needs, that we can trust that when we dig our roots deep in him, the ground isn't shaking and no matter what storm comes our way or what opposition comes, we're not moving. So dig your roots deep this week. Dig your roots deep this month. Dig your roots, dig your roots deep this summer. Right? In a, in a season where it can be easy to take some time off and let our faith coast. No, you can dig your roots deep even at the lake or either, even wherever God takes you. Dig your roots deep. Discover more about who Jesus is. Discover more about what he said, what he did, who he hung out with, and what does that mean for our lives? Because if Jesus spent his time with the least of these, then what does that mean for my time? And if Jesus would spend his time speaking truth and life in other people's lives, then what does that say about the words that I speak? I'd encourage you this week, if you want to dive deeper into who Jesus is, start reading one of his, the gospels that tells the story of him walking this earth. There's four of them in our Bible. They start the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It doesn't matter which one you start in. Maybe you pick Mark. Because when I was in high school, I always picked Mark. You know why? Because it's the shortest one, right? It's like, this only has 16 chapters and we're not even sure about the last one. So maybe it's only 15. And so maybe you start there. I always like John. I don't really know why. I just love the angle in which he tells the story of Jesus. It doesn't really matter. And it doesn't matter how long it takes you to get through it, right? We told you it's gonna take a lifetime to dig your roots deep. So pour over every word. Don't lose this, this every moment 
to gain more insightful of who Jesus is and what he's calling you to be. Dive into Jesus. Dive into a group that will push you and encourage you. Even in the summer, that's possible. Our high schoolers do a thing that we started last year. It's called a summer study where every Thursday in, in, through like the end of June and through July, we're going to get together and we're going to walk verse by verse through the book of Titus so that every high school who, can come, who comes to this can gain a greater knowledge of who Jesus is and who he's created them to be. And that not just so they can learn that, but that they can go home and they can do it for themselves, that they can learn and grow for themselves. And ultimately then they can go into their schools and their high schools and their sports teams and their bands and their dramas and they can go everywhere and they can share that same light. That's our hope. But it's not just high school students that get the chance to grow even in the summer. We have classes here at VRL all summer that we're not taking summer off. No, we want to dig our roots deep even in the summer and they're going to hear more and more about the different classes offered this summer. But the one that's coming up quickly will help you grow your roots deep in marriage. It's called Staying in Love. It starts on June 5th. We'd love for you to come and join it. You can contact Brad, you can go to the connecting point, or you can register online, but spend this summer growing your roots deep. Being rooted means having both the right ideas and the right beliefs, but also having the right conduct that we weren't just created to gain all this knowledge about Jesus and be like, oh, great. No, but then to pour it out, to spread it, to show everybody else around us. And it doesn't matter if you're a new follower or you've been following this Jesus guy for a while. We have more to grow. We have roots to get deeper because when the roots stop growing, we start decaying. So live this mission that God has called you to. You have no idea where God's going to take you on it. but live this mission by being deeply rooted in Jesus.